to episode 412 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I am here with... Jess. And Reed. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about movies that we saw this week in part one. And in part two, we're going to be continuing our Young Critics Watch Old Movie series with 1959's Some Like It Hot, which is a uh, movie talked about a little bit on the podcast before, but this is this is the deep dive, and it's... Uh, We'll just spoil it that it's Reed's favorite movie. Ever? Yeah, it it's up there for sure. Wow. So, yeah, that's that's your that's your plug to stick around for part two or skip ahead. Uh, you know who knows who knows what your what your feeling is. Um. All right, we're I'm, I'm gonna jump in with a movie that we talked about recently. Uh, I think Andrew reviewed it, but uh, let's talk about Elvis. The, the 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 figure and the movie directed by Baz Luhrmann. Uh, but yeah, this one it stars uh, Austin Butler as Elvis. Uh, you have Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker. Um, there's a gazillion other people in this movie playing various things. So those are the mainly the two that you need to focus on. Um, and this it's very much. I think Andrew talked about it a few weeks ago. It's very much a. Um, a Baz Luhrmann joint. Um, if you're familiar with Baz Luhrmann, whether it be Moulin Rouge, is it Baz or Boz? Boz. But excuse me, Baz Luhrmann. Mm. Um, I've never asked him. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, but you, you're probably familiar. You know, Moulin Rouge, uh, Great Gatsby, uh, Romeo plus Juliet, uh, Australia. Um, but as we talked, as Andrew mentioned, like he, he he's very much working within his own his own space, and so when you come to Elvis, like it's gonna be a Baz Luhrmann production. So just, but I say that by saying like one, it's kind of, it's it's the whole thing of like just go in there, don't expect to be anything different. It's very much like Baz Luhrmann to the nth degree, but I think that's perfectly suited for. Uh, for Elvis, you know, a very flashy, very iconic, very um, uh, uh, just kind of pop culture heavy figure. Um, You know, Boz, I think, really captures... Well, let me just talk a little bit first about just kind of how this thing is structured. So you go through like an hour of, and you go through like an hour that feels like just a straight montage of kind of like the main points of like him growing up and becoming Elvis Presley to a degree, um, and and Colonel Tom Parker uh, getting you know getting a part of that whole um, getting a part of his career, becoming his manager and, and things like that, and then the rest of the movie, which I'll agree with Andrew, is very long um is more about him being elvis and what that means and kind of the reception to that um i kind of have like i was i was kind of like like it was good but kind of you know kind of mellow to the movie but i've i've really kind of come to appreciate it more as i've gotten away from it i think one i think austin butler's performance is really good um there's a lot of i saw somebody who was sharing clips of um of Elvis performances and um he like captures like the mannerisms and like identically how Elvis is like performing things um there was one that people were sharing where he was doing the the show in Las Vegas and he's like singing really close to the mic and he like like puts the mic in his mouth and pulls it out and makes this noise and you see it in the movie and you're just like what is he doing and then you see the clip of Elvis actually doing you're like oh no like it's it's, a, it's like a real thing and so even though he may not look like 100% like Elvis, I think he really like he's more capturing the essence of Elvis as like a performer in a presence. Um, and then Tom Hanks is is kind of he's a little you kind of have to get on the wavelength with him for a while. But I think that the last third, like the last the third act of the movie is when he kind of really shows up and, and, and it shows why you kind of wanted just somebody who's a strong actor like Tom Hanks in this role. Um, but the thing that really, that really kind of cap, like really I've been stewing on with this movie is just how Boz Lerman's tendency, his editing style, his, his lavishness, everything like that is, is just perfectly married to, um, not only is, you know, it's, it's very in tune to what 
you know, capturing the public's attention and becoming like a cultural icon like Elvis was. Um, you know, I think this is very much like the, the thing that fascinated me was uh, there's so many scenes where they're doing like these kind of really quick montages of like performances and and him interacting with people. And it's, it's all captured in like that very montage like quick edit, fast cuts uh, uh, style that you get that you're familiar with if you've seen a Baz Luhrmann m- movie. But it makes sense in this context because you're making this movie in 2022. And I feel like he's kind of commenting in a, on a way on... Um, you know, stardom and um, entertainment and pop culture today, but he's like utilizing, he's using the, 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 the kind of infrastructure of today of how we understand celebrity today to show how much of a like figure and that people like knew like how much of a figure that Elvis was. And that's really fascinating because it, it like, you just have like this kind of constant like push and pull of, um, you know, it's not, it's not like what you would typically see in a biopic where you're just kind of seeing these performances, um, because you want to hear like Viva Las Vegas or suspicious minds or something like, like it's not just him performing the songs, uh, necessarily. It's also like these, these, cuts and edits with modern musicians like there's this uh there's this part where an Elvis song is playing and he's walking through Beale Street looking to to go into this club and it's splicing Elvis uh, an Elvis song with uh Doja Cat and so you kind of have like and so it's kind of like this thing on not that Doja Cat is necessarily the level of star today as Elvis was then but it's all about like this concept of sampling because at this point Elvis is a little burnt out he's he just went through the hole where the u.s government is trying to like shut him down for for you know pretty much shaking shaking his hips around um and he's kind of like down and so he goes to the he goes to beale street in memphis and is hanging out in this club with uh sister rosetta thorne and bb king and you see little richard um and it's kind of just going back to you know the people that you know he he grew up in in a poor predominantly african-american portion uh, part of tennessee and so um it's you you kind of see him going back more to where he came from and like where he was inspired to make the music that he does and so but in by doing that you kind of see this um line between how you know the songs that sister was out of thorn is playing influenced elvis and what elvis was playing influences uh doja cat and like how like how how music and culture is all about sampling from what came from before and i think that's what's that's what's really magical about this movie and i think that Baz Luhrmann, it makes him perfect as the person to make a biopic about elvis presley is because be with the the style of editing with all of these ways that he's able to cut and just kind of pull you from one section to another section um in almost this like breakneck roller coaster fashion um it's all about how how you're how people are digesting these figures as well as how um, music especially is such a is such a an a art form and a in something that people are constantly not stealing from but like you're constantly being uh, uh, inspired by the generation before and you're constantly t- kind of taking stuff from there in order to you know inform your music and so um, it's less a comment going oh Elvis stole all this music from these people and more no like what they were doing inspired him and then he made his stuff and it resp- it really resonated with people and then people ever since have been kind of you know so it's all just kind of a through line um through that and i found that to be really not only like emphasized through the through the script but also emphasized just in a really cinematic fashion through the editing through um the way that Baz Luhrmann kind of navigates you through his life and through these sections where he's at like the height of his popularity um and then it also just has like these just really like re like this is why you go see this kind of uh you know sequences from the 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 performance he does in Vegas to his NBC special to 
um, the performance he gives um, after, uh, you know, in Alabama as the governor is there, you know, talking about the salacious Elvis Presley. He like, you know, he, he like the, the whole sequence where you have it's great because you have Elvis about to perform and kind of going through the self-realization that I'm just going to do what I want to do. And like like you can like next door and he's doing this cross cutting between what is pretty much a Confederate rally by this um by this, you know, bigot, uh, Alabama governor at the time who, um, you know, and like, so you're capturing like the, 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 like, like the, the crowd there compared to this crowd of people with like, you, like just the sensation of like how crowds are, um, feeding off of these, of these, of these personalities. And not that like, that's an, necessarily a negative thing but it kind of it puts you into the uh into the mind space of like if you're somebody like elvis you control so much emotion in front of you much like the governor speaking to his crowd so like if you're a person on the stage that you're a public figure of people that people know and people um put a lot of affection toward you have this power to by your choice to kind of sway what you want to say and there's just okay there's kind of really just this kind this really um it's just a really powerful scene and the way he he's able to cross cut it is is great so um and it's not a perfect movie i don't feel like most baz lerman or baz lerman movies are very perfect because there's there's so many he reminds me a lot of somebody like spike lee who a lot of the times will hit well but also a lot of his a lot of the movies have so many ideas going and are just so like assaultive to the mind sometimes because of all the different stuff they're doing that um, it's never going to be a perfect movie, but there's always like interesting ideas in, in, you know, inside of it. And I don't know. I feel like Elvis, I liked it more. <clears throat> I think I liked it a little bit more than the Gatsby movie. It's probably one of my favorite more one on like the higher side of Baz Luhrmann's movies. And I think that he seemed like the, it was the kind of perfect way to encapsulate him as a figure. So uh, if you go see it, if you know if you're if it's still playing at a theater, like fuck Thor, Love and Thunder, and go see Elvis. It's fucking great. Hmm. I don't really know much about him, like his story, and, and even really his music. It's never been music that I like, grew up listening to. I think my mom told me once though that she went to like one of his last shows before he died, um, or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm totally wrong on that fact. But I kind of just be interested in just knowing more about it since he's from our state but. yeah no I, I i don't know i think i think it's worth i think it's worth seeing whether you're an elf i mean i've talked to people who are like big elvis fans and they really responded to it but i think also if you're not there's just like this i think there's this kind of media co- uh, commentary going on that is really um that's pretty astute for like a like flashy big kind of blockbustery biopic thing um you know i again like i would rather watch this than you know tom hooper's whatever like darkest hour bullshit like you know on winston churchill where it's just i'm going we've got to do this to get the nazis you know or something, something like like you're like whatever you know like fuck that shit like this is great this has like it's 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 like traversing it's just like time traveling and shit in the middle of it it's great you're just like what it like this is just uh this is why you go and watch something on a big screen. Um, so I rec- I highly recommend Elvis. I, I, if I watch it again by the end of the year, it might rank high for me because, yeah, it, did, it, was, it was good. But, um, Reed, I'm going to toss it over to you since I've talked for 12 minutes. No, you're good. Um, it made me want to see Elvis, and I already kind of did. But, yeah, I need to see it soon. Go see Elvis. Um, the, I'm not recommending the movie. I saw um, – I watched uh, Cha-Cha Real Smooth – Cooper Rafe's new movie uh, that was a huge hit at Sundance. Um, I think Apple bought it for probably a ton of money uh, because it was so popular. He had a movie a few years ago called Shit House that I didn't see, but I had some friends that liked it. I don't know if either of y'all saw it. Um, but he's like a super young guy. Like I think he's 24 right now. Um, this is his second feature, uh, really indie, low budget first feature, and then this one has him. Um, Leslie Mann, Dakota Johnson, um, some bigger names associated with it. But basically, it's it's similar to, like, um, it's kind of like a modern-day graduate in terms of it's about a kid who just graduated from college, doesn't really know what he's doing with his life, is working a shitty job at the mall, food court, 
um, and is trying to figure out what to do next. And you find out that he's working at this this uh, fast food restaurant, but he really is good at talking to people, basically. is good at, like, being a party guy, like, getting things going. And he goes to his brother's friend's bar mitzvah, and he's, like, the reason the party gets started. Like, he, like, goes around and gets everyone hyped, gets them on the dance floor, makes it a fun party. And then all of a sudden, all the moms in the, um, like, neighborhood that are friends with all these same kids are like, well, you gotta be the party starter at my kid's bar mitzvah, and so on and so on and so on. So he spends, like, the summer working that job. And then alongside that, he becomes friends with Dakota Johnson... Uh, who is a young mom and her daughter, who is uh, like a 13 year old, um, uh, alongside like the kid. She's going to the bar mitzvahs as well. I forget that. I need to figure out the actress's name because she's actually one of the bright spots. Um, but basically, uh, this is the reason I didn't like this movie is I just found Cooper Rafe to be pretty insufferable. Um, as a performer and knowing that he wrote and directed it as well because I've never seen anyone write a movie that was just like meant to hype them up so much like everything the other characters are saying to him is just like positive like good like you're so sweet you're so kind you're so nice you're amazing you're the best person I've ever met like you've changed my life and it just feels so self-serving like every second and it just feels like he's trying to if Honestly, if he wrote this character and was just the writer-director and not the actor, too, I would maybe be less harsh on it. But I find, like, the, the whole thing, like, he has Dakota Johnson and Leslie Mann, like, these incredibly famous actresses in his movie telling him that he's so perfect. And, like, he, like, fins off Dakota Johnson's advances um, and is, like, just such a, like, model kid, basically. And it's just so, like, it's honestly brutal to watch for that reason in my mind because I'm, like... It's just kind of gross watching this guy just watch a movie, make a make a movie, spend all his money to make a movie. That's just like to show off how good of a person he is. And I'm just. <laughs> it sounds like the uh, the scene in Nathan for you when he has the he hires the woman to say I love you to him. Like that's what it, that's a, like you describing it. That's what it sounds it, like. No, that is a really good uh, point of reference. Um, the young actress's name in it is Vanessa Burkhart. She's actually actually really good. But um, and a lot of the other performers are are doing like some good work but every scene has cooper rafe in it like it's he is the star he's the character and i just found myself rolling my eyes every time he stepped in front of the camera um and i just i don't i really like i do have some friends that liked his first movie but i'm super hesitant to even check it out because i can't imagine what that one's like um but basically he plays this this character and he ends up getting mixed up into like some not so great situations obviously um because like he needs some drama for his movie but even then like he's he's basically painted as like well if he's making a mistake he's just an innocent young man like he's just like making a little mistake um he's still like a nice sweet guy perfect and i i just i found it really gross i guess i don't have a lot more to say about it than that but i i it's i try not to like hate on like small indie movies um that it's like wow good job making your movie like you did that's a really big deal to make a movie um wow um, Reed's going to die, so... Uh, Apple... App- the vibes. Oh, Reed? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, Reed... Apple TV is hearing Reed's uh, descent, and is just like, we'll take care of you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but, like, I don't try to hate on many indie movies, but, like, I'm usually just, like, if I don't like it, I just kind of, like, let other people enjoy it. I'm like, whatever. Like, it's not changing that much, but this, this one's bad. Like, avoid or hate watch, in my opinion, and I don't understand how it has the acclaim it has. I don't understand how anyone can, like, watch it. Like, I know it's probably too harsh of a thing to say. Can watch it and be, like, enjoying themselves. <laughs> Unless you also just love Cooper Rafe. Seems like a really sweet guy. I don't even know who he is, so um, that's an easy one for me. <laughs> yeah. He's, in my opinion, super annoying. I don't... What What else have I seen him in? I think I was just... just, I, was just looking, I was looking while he was talking. He looks familiar. Is he in a TV show movie? I'm looking at TV... I, Looks like he did I a would couple have kissed you, other things, but shit house, cha cha, real smooth. But yeah, I would avoid, in my opinion. I mean, I'm hope I'm hopeful. Honestly, I was thinking the other day, I'm like, people should be really hard on him about this one because I don't want him to be like 40 and still like paying 25 year old women to like tell him he's amazing. You know, like he needs to he needs to be knocked down a peg now so that way he can actually make good movies at some point. 
What, so he end up like Woody Allen? Yeah, exactly. He strikes me, like, it seems like he wanted to make a bit of a Woody Allen movie. Except he's not, like, misanthropic enough. So, yeah. that That's Cha-Cha Real Smooth. It's on Apple TV+. Plus. Not worth watching. <laughs> we don't <laughs> recommend <laughs> No. Reed's saving all his uh, praise for the second half. It's okay. It's all good. Um... Well, real quickly, I want to talk about a movie that is now in the Criterion Collection, and uh, I believe it's on, or I watched it on the Criterion Channel, and that's Mississippi Masala. Um, uh, it's uh, directed by Miranir, who we, I think, you know, we're fans of here at the podcast. Uh, I think we've talked about, like, Monsoon Wedding. Um, I'm trying to think of others that I've seen of hers. No, she follows us on Twitter. Shout out to Mira. Um no, I've seen uh, I've seen Monsoon Wedding, Queen of Catway, and then this one. Um, but yeah, it's a it's 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 this one I really I really enjoyed. Um, I haven't seen Monsoon Wedding in forever, so I wouldn't know if, how to compare it to that. But Mississippi um, Masala came out in '91. Um, you start by see, you see this uh, Indian family who is expelled from Uganda when a dictator takes power, and his his whole deal is that he he just wants like natural born Africans there in in Uganda, and so a lot of the Indian population who are there because um, they came to construct a lot of the infrastructure there on the um, uh, in their cities um, and just kind of stuck around. Um, they all are there's like a mass exodus as they leave. And so the family, I guess, kind of uh, move, you know, moves around. They go to like England. You don't really see it. It's it kind of Indiana Jones is it, where it's like England, Mississippi. <laughs> um, but they end up. I think it's a. Uh, I forgot how many years. It's a number of years past, um, and they're in Mississippi. Um, the dad is still obsessed with, get, you know, re- reclaiming his his land and going back to Uganda. Um, but his, the, but the family runs a liquor store in Mississippi. Uh, the daughter, they all live in like a motel and the daughter helps clean at the motel and do other things. Um, but then, uh, she meets, um, Denzel Washington. Um, and so, uh, they, they start to, uh, you know, they, they fall in love, start a relationship. Um, but then, uh, but then they, there's an incident that happens midway through the movie where, um, you know, they've kind of not been like secretive, secretive, but really, she hasn't really disclosed the relationship to her, her family and things like that. And so uh, something kind of comes to pass and he, uh, it kind of spirals a lot of uh, their lives out of control. Um, but this one's I, I really enjoyed it. It's Denzel Washington and Sharita Chowdhury. Uh, uh, who's the the female lead and it's like a peak like a sexy ass movie like this is like two like apex like two apex hot people like it's not like it's not like what um what reed was just uh describing like it's like two like apex hot fucking people who are like doing doing gaga you know love eyes to each other the whole time and then they 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 you know have sex at one point um yeah and that's like i mean that's 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 what should be the main takeaway for people is it's just like super hot people just being in love for a lot of like that, that that's like the whole vibe of the second act of this movie um and also and it's also just like it's a very like the the chemistry is really nice it's just a very like naturally like i mean you got denzel washington so he's fucking charming um and she she's able to like kind of play along with him in a really in a, in a really great manner um like they seem very like natural together uh but I think it's a it's a smart it's a, it's a, I think it's a pretty smart movie it kind of not only digs into like um it, it kind of digs into the dichotomies of like colorism so it's not like you know it's not this it's not like a like what you would expect like a white and black or, or something like that film it's 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 kind of getting into the the um the very the very nuanced intricacies of of colorism and and kind of how that uh how that shapes people because you have you know this indian family that um 
has at least the father has this negative view of um of black people because of how he was treated getting kicked out of of uganda um and so he, he kind of has this prejudice against them and then you have um the you know african americans in mississippi who kind of have this prejudice against these Indi- these uh indian families because you know you know, it, it just kind of shows like, like, and it's mentioned many times, like, why are we fighting each other on this different, like, we're all, we're kind of all in the same boat, you know, for, we're all, we're all below the, the power structure in place, wherever we are. And so um, it's constantly kind of dealing with that, but not in a very, I like that they, it deals with it in the, in kind of through the through the, uh, the nature of like this relationship between these two, uh, these two people, rather than it's not like, like you know it's not a college lecture um and i think it's just very thoughtfully done um i think that the especially like the the daughter and the father-daughter relationship um uh between um mina the the main character and her and her father i think are just um are really great i really you know and then her i i and then i have to kind of just give a shout out to her mother Shramila uh, Tagori, who uh, was in the second Apu movie uh, by Sajrit Ray, and then then in a number of his movies. Um, So I was kind of like, a little uh, little fam fam person moment. But um, yeah, check out Mississippi Masala if you want to just like watch two hot ass people fall in love, um, and like dance, and like walk around bayous and kiss and just be just be like being being hot people in love this is the movie for you literally like every letterbox review is it's just th- these people are incredibly hot like what like uh, here, oh, here's two for you the hottest leads in any any movie ever and then people say bisexuality is being greedy when i'm actual fact it's just being stressed and confused about which extremely hot person you fancy more in films like this so so uh that's 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 the vibes here we got going on and like you know yeah it's just well they're not even kidding. they're just two hot ass people like they're just two hot people and you're just like good for them you know um well you know some like it hot oh you trying to transition into the second part i, I was my i was my thought i'd try my hand at you know a little podcast transition yeah, yeah. um let me finish first <laughs> uh, but mississippi masala it's on it's on uh like i said criterion channel they just put out an addition as well that's, i think that probably is the only way you're going to be able to see it but yeah they uh it is uh we got criterion sale going on right now honestly good good uh good blind buy if you're like looking to just kind of take a chance on something I think this one's worth it. So, but, uh, you know what else is hot? Some like it hot. That's, that was not a, what? All right. All right, we're going to talk about Some Like It Hot in part two. All right. Bet you can't wait. episode 412 of Cinematary. In this part, we're going to be continuing our Young Critics Watch Old Movies with 1959's Some Like It Hot, uh, directed by Billy Wilder from a script by Wilder and I.A.L. Dizzy Diamond, which is a badass name. Uh, the film stars Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon, and Joey Brown. After witnessing a mafia murder, slick saxophone player Joe and his long-suffering buddy Jerry improvise a quick plan to escape from Chicago with their lives. Disguising themselves as women, they join an all-female jazz band and hop on a train bound for sunny Florida. 
When, while Joe pretends to be a millionaire to win the band Sexy Singer Sugar, Jerry finds himself pursued by a real millionaire as things heat up and the mobsters close in. The plot for Some Like It Hot was taken from a 1951 German film, uh, Fanfaren der Liebe, written by Robert Theorin and M. Logan. The story, to which writer-director Billy Wilder had purchased the rights, featured two Depression-era musicians who are driven by poverty to pretend to be gypsies, black men, and finally women in order to find work by, with various bands. Um, yeah. mm. Uh, in an article by co-writer IAL Diamond, he stated that he and Wilder spent a year developing the script. Wilder and Diamond decided to develop uh, to drop the first two plot devices from the Theorin Logan film and focus on the men dressing as women and joining an all-girl band. Initially, the Wilder Diamond script was set in contemporary times because they felt they needed a situation more um, because they felt they needed a situation more powerful than poverty to compel the characters to dress as women. According to Diamond, he suggested that a period setting would make it easier for the audience to accept female impersonation, and Wilder then came up with the idea to set the story during the Jazz Age and will have their characters witness a gangland slain as motivation for hiding out. The gangland slain that figures prominently in the film was loosely based upon the infamous St. Valentine's Day Massacre that took place in Chicago on February 14, 1929. The hit was linked to mob boss Al Capone and took place against his longtime rival George Bugs Moran uh, over control of Chicago's bootlegging, gambling, and prostitution rackets. Uh, Diamond stated that uh, Wilder offered Jack Lemmon the role of Jerry. Lemmon gave him a verbal agreement to appear in the film despite being under contract to Columbia Pictures. Tony Curtis was signed first, but United Artists pressured Wilder to cast a bigger box office name than Lemmon for the second male lead. According to Diamond, at UA's recommendation, Wilder approached Frank Sinatra, but Sinatra failed to make an appointment with the director. A modern biography of Wilder states that the director also had approached Anthony Perkins to co-star with Sinatra. Danny Kay was also considered for Lemon's role. Mitzi Gaynor was considered for Sugar until Marilyn Monroe wrote to Wilder expressing the hope that they could work together again after their success with the seven-year itch. Uh, Wilder stated that he had hoped to cast Edward G. Ro- uh, Edward G. Robinson in a mobster role, but because of a long-standing disagreement between Robinson and supporting actor George Raft, Robinson refused. Uh, George Raft was in the movie. So Diamond said that Curtis came up uh, with the idea of Shell Oil Jr. mimicking actor Cary Grant's speech pattern. Diamond's article in numerous modern interviews with Wilder described difficulties with Marilyn Monroe during filming, including 47 takes of the line, Where's That Bourbon?, that was eventually shot with the actress's back to the camera. Monroe lacked concentration and suffered from an addiction to pills. She was constantly late to set and could not memorize many of her lines, averaging 35 to 40 takes for a single line, according to Tony Curtis. The line, It's Me Sugar, took 47 takes to get correct because Monroe kept getting the word order wrong, saying either Sugar It's Me or It's Sugar Me. Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon made bets during the filming on how many takes she would need to get it right. Three days were scheduled for shooting the scene with Shell Jr. and Sugar at the beach as Monroe had uh, had many complicated lines, but the scene was finished in only 20 minutes. Wilder spoke in 1959 about making another film with Monroe, quote, I have discussed this with my doctor and my psychiatrist. They told me I'm too old and too rich to go through this again. But he also admitted, quote, my Aunt Minnie would always be punctual and never hold up production. But who would want to pay to see my Aunt Minnie? He also stated that Monroe played her part wonderfully. Uh, according to information on file uh, in the MPAAPCA collection at the Ampus Library, the Reverend Monsignor Thomas F. Little of the National Catholic uh, Legion of Decency found some like it hot to contain, quote, screen material elements that are judged to be seriously offensive to Christian and traditional standards of morality and decency. The subject matter of transvestism uh, naturally leads to complications in this film that there should there seem to us clear interfe- uh, inference of homosexuality and lesbianism. The, di- the dialogue was not only double entendre but outright smut. The offense in costuming was obvious. MPAA head Jeffrey Sherlock uh responded in a letter dated March 18, 1959, saying, quote, So far, there is simply no adverse reaction at all, nothing but praise for it as a hilariously funny film. I am not suggesting, of course, that there are not dangers connected with the story of this type, but girls dressed as men and occasionally men dressed as women for proper plot purposes has been standard theatrical fare as far back as As You Like It and Twelfth Knife. We, of course, are not defending the two exaggerated costumes worn by the leading lady. 
Kansas, the state of Kansas, uh, delayed distribution for two months when the state board of review refused to approve the picture unless over 100 feet of footage, mostly of the love scene between Sugar and Shell Oil Jr., was cut. And the Memphis, Tennessee Board of Censors rejected the film, then agreed to pass it if it was restricted to adults only. Uh, Variety 1959 said Some Like It Hot is probably the funniest picture of recent memory. It's a wacky, clever, farcical comedy that starts off like a firecracker and keeps on throwing off lively sparks till the very end. And in 1959, the New York Times said Some Like It Hot does cool off considerably now and again, but Mr. Wilder and his carefree clowns keep it crackling and funny most of the time. On that note, let's talk a little bit about the film and uh, we're going to put Reed on the spot since... You know, you're coming in as our as our as our expert. Coming in hot. I don't know about expert, but I've seen it. I've seen it a number of times, um, and I just the first time I saw it, I fell in love with it, but was kind of put off by different aspects of it, especially for a movie this old. Um, with the like, I mean, frankly, I left wondering if it was like problematic the way it portrays um, certain things. But I, after seeing it a few times, I just, I, the keys for me to this movie are the comedy and then, um, Marilyn Monroe. And the comedy only works in my opinion because of Monroe, Curtis and Lemon, Jack Lemon. Like they're all, I think just like so perfect in their roles. Um, and I think Monroe's so good here. Like, I think she's incredible. Um, even with all everything you said with how hard she was to work with, how like how much trouble she was going through. Mm-hmm. I think this movie like comes alive the like the first moment it like most comes alive is when they're rehearsing on the train and she's playing ukulele. And that's a it's a pretty short scene. It's only like uh, 30 seconds. She drops the flask or whatever too. But I think that's when like this movie like really just like the energy picks up and from there mm-hmm. I just I think it's like nonstop funny. Um so entertaining and then on this watch it is like a really i think a really thoughtful movie especially in its comedy comedy i think um a lot of the interactions especially later as you have jack Lemmon's character falling in love with the with the millionaire yacht owner um this is my only chance to marry a millionaire i know that's such a good line such a good line and then you have i mean tony curtis doing like the opposite thing to sugar like he's like he's pretty sleazy um but it's so it's so funny and the way they play off each other i think is amazing and uh i actually didn't know it was based on something else i kind of want to watch the previous movie that sounds very different but um i think uh what doesn't stick with me as much from this movie is all the mob stuff like i think it's a nice storyline to go with it but really once they're in florida and playing music and speaking of the love scene like the extended love scene on the on the ship cut but cutting uh with the dance scene <laughs> with, with um oh goodness uh with jack lemon's character and uh daphne. osgood yeah daphne and osgood like i just that is one of my favorite stretches of any movie ever because it's it's so it's kind of what you're talking about the mississippi masala like it's one side it's like Tony Curtis is sleazy, but he's very attractive, and Marilyn Monroe's obviously, like, an icon, and it's, like, a really good scene between them two, and then it's cutting back, like, honestly, I think he does, like, like, whip pans, like, fake ones. He does, yeah. To, like, the dance hall, and they're just doing this really exaggerated cha-cha, and, like, Osgood at one point is like, Daphne, you're leading again. <laughs> it's just the be- the best part of it is when they're switching the the rows between each other. I like that one. <laughs> yep, it's so good. And then the- it's so funny how it, it's gradually like it, she seems so pissed off at first to be there, like oh I can't believe I'm doing this favor, but then eventually like they're both just so into it. I guess I shouldn't I shouldn't say she, like but still as the character, um, it's very funny. Yeah, and then later there's, like, a callback, too, when they're, like, the mobsters show up at the, for their convention or whatever, and they're scared and packing, and then Daphne takes a second with the, like, uh, mariachi, the, like, uh, maracas, and is just, like, taking a second to go back to the dance and, and, uh, his mind, but it is so, I just think it's such a funny movie, it's pretty, and I think it transcends, like, the time difference, too, like, I think audiences can watch it now and still love it, um, but I, I'd love to hear what y'all thought, too. I love I loved uh, speaking about just Jack Lemmon's performance. I like how 
one, he's just so neurotic, and then they finally like get on the train, and he immediately switches on to like one of the girls. Yes, like it's yes. like he's just so like, he's just talking to all of them, and he's like, "I'm Daphne. What do you? Th- I love your nails." Like he just immediately switches over. Um, he it's, does so it's, good. It's, it's, it, it's a performance of a lifetime. It cracks me up and it, every time. <laughs> it's just funny, just the dynamic of the two. Like, um, was it Jack Lemmon's character who's Daphne? Um, He's he's just so like chatty and goofy and like maybe like mildly annoying but endearing too. But then um, I'm sorry, what was the other actor's name? He's so like he's just so cool. Like you know he's like I couldn't I I'm like the cool guy, but now I have to be girl. But I'm just gonna like mostly keep. I don't know. They're just they're fun to play off of the two of them um, and just how like they complement each other. Um, also, I guess this movie felt a little different watching it now, just realizing, I don't know, I guess as kind of a young adult, like living on my own, I don't know, I mean, I feel like I probably, it was the same situation last time I watched it, but I'm just kind of seeing like all the little circumstances they're getting themselves in and out of just because they're kind of scrappy, um, you know, they're just kind of living paycheck to paycheck and just like from one hustle to the next and um, the like decisions they have to make that kind of get them in trouble you know, like, lending from people or, like, just taking whatever gig they can because they're just so desperate to, like, pay this bill and that bill. And um, it's, I don't know. So I guess I never really noticed that piece of it and just kind of how endearing it is in that way. I don't know, kind of in a relatable way, but it's a series of really goofy, unfortunate events, I guess. Um, But then they fail up, like somehow, you know, that by the end, (laughs) it all works out for them. And that's probably true. You kind of get this idea that this is the cycle of their characters. Like, they're going to just be, like, constantly facing, like, calamity and then, like, a really, like, randomly really good thing happens and randomly another terrible, like, it's just, I don't know, going to keep escalating forever. Um, I don't know. So I think they're just, it's just kind of adorable in that way, this, like, buddy movie. Uh, Reed, you mentioned that like this is something that um, you feel like you could drop in front of somebody, you know, somebody today, and they you know they would still find it entertaining, even people that younger than us. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting, kind of looking at the movie because on the surface, um, you would uh, kind of like you said, you would assume that it would like have problem, like people would find it problematic with how um, they're dressing up as women, things like that. I mean. I guess what what for for both of you what about the movie kind of throws that out out the window because I I think it I think that doesn't really hold much I mean I think it's very there's nothing really there's not too anything too problematic about it because it's constantly it's never making fun of the fact that they're dressed up as women it's just making fun of them um, I think I think they, they it it does play a little bit with you know, the fact that they realize some of their, like, shitty behaviors as men towards women, um, what that actually feels like in, in the, like, female experience, too. So, I don't, I mean, I think that, I don't know. I guess it, it's not really for me as a cis person to, you know, I don't, I don't know if I understand, like, what, how the movie feels like it would be a hostile kind of interpretation but i don't know what do you think yeah i i don't know oh sorry um i don't i don't know either as a cis person but i i think um watching this time i thought the conversation after the the scene we were talking about the love scene mixed with the dancing scene the conversation they have in their room um really kind of hones in on it as Jack Lemmon's character is is frankly like he's now engaged to Osgood like he's um he seems genuinely confused about a lot of things and but also he it seems to like in my mind slip between a lot of gender things and in the end kind of seem like gender doesn't really matter and that's where it felt maybe a bit more progressive to me yeah, it feels like just kind of a queer story. I don't know, like the way that they have to kind of play with gender and then experience it and um, experience attraction and love in a way that they weren't expecting to. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, and I think if we, if the movie had just been, like even at the start, if you don't know what you're getting into and you see just like the way um, Joe interacts with like the woman at the beginning uh, that works for the music label guy, 
um he's like really rude to her and like it's sleazy you're like if we're just gonna watch like two hours of this i'm not sure i want that but like you're saying just like by by about the middle they're like having a lot flipped on them because they're seeing like the way men are looking at them they're also like experiencing a lot of this world as women and it's just a I think that also is an interesting perspective for it. I mean, it's never it never overtakes the comedy, which like I think is why it does. It's not like blatantly like oh, this movie is saying this about gender. Because at the end of the day, I think it is a comedy first and foremost. Like it's not trying to make grand statements. Well, you also have to look at who, like I said, like who who is the joke being pointed at? You know, it's 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 one thing. Like it, like I don't, it never in the movie is it making fun of like the way they look or the fact that they're dressed up as women or anything like that again the joke is always just on on them like on the on the absurdity of them and what they're the missing information that they are lacking um and so that kind of shows that yeah it's not it's not attacking the um the act of you know it's not attacking trans people or the act of of people who want to dress up as women you know for performance reasons or things like that it's literally just kind of going like no we're just making fun of these two guys um there's nothing wrong with what they're doing also i don't know i have this um in my head I, i make jokes a lot in movies um when somebody's like in a really big situation they're like well crap everybody's after me like John Wick you know everybody's after me like what am I gonna do and I like anytime I'm watching movies like that I'm like look the choice like the decision is obvious you gotta sound like it hot like you need to dress up and try to like dress up as the other gender nobody would ever suspect and then you'll make like imagine if John Wick had done that right instead of like have to shoot up like an entire city of people who were after him or something entirely different movie what I mean he could yeah exactly but he could have he could have done it so I don't know I think honestly this I mean it's a genius it's a genius idea now now I feel like that could feel like invalidating or insulting and that's not what I'm meaning to imply either but Hey, it worked, okay? They they were able to get themselves a gig, so and they had to get away from the mob. Like, can you blame the guys? Speaking and speaking of the mob, I I find I found them kind of funny, funny, funnier on this uh, on this rewatch, just because you realize like how like how much it's hamming up like not necessarily mob movies in general but like mob movies up to that point so that's why like it's that's why he was wanting somebody like Edward G. Robinson who's known for crime movies and mob movies to be in it because he was more spoofing the mobsters like I was I sent Jesse a Snapchat of just like can, can you imagine if you were spats who his literally his whole personality is I'm a mobster I wear spats and I drink buttermilk it's so funny the beginning of the movie because it feels like you're watching something completely different like you're in this police chase like undercover operation thing and then all of a sudden it's like "Mm," like and we'd like turn the camera and it's actually about these two goofballs um so i like i liked in the first half i like the juxtaposition of the tones between like the the mobsters but the goofballs that we spend time with but I didn't love in like the very last act of the movie when the the second group of mobsters show up in the hotel and they're like all standing around that table and they're about to do that birthday scene. I kind of thought that the the mobster that they picked for the guy who was leading yeah, yeah, and he had he had the headphones on. I just didn't I didn't understand what they were going for at all and I I kind of liked how serious how like almost like overly serious they took it in the first half and so the second half even though it does end like end up with like a a shooting and a bunch of people die it was like i just don't even take the scene seriously because i didn't like that performance so much yeah it's probably a reference to uh a mob character from like a 20s or 30s movie um that they're because i mean that's that's the whole (coughs) that's the whole thing that they're making fun of in that whole section is just or at least with that subplot is they're just kind of making fun of like the i mean you have literally the one guy who's actually edward g robinson's son who's not even like flipping the coin he's just like throwing the coin up to himself and it's 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 which is just you know like it's all that's also a reference and so it's just like it's it's constantly just kind of making fun of like if anything it's making fun of how absurd the mobsters are 
over like it's not making fun of any of the, any absurdity with the men dressing up as women. It's making fun of how absurd these mobsters are and how silly they look just in terms of their tough guy personas. Yeah, I mean, there's the toothpick guy at the beginning who like you know who he is because he just has a toothpick in his mouth and like after he shoots him, he goes and like knocks the toothpick out of his mouth. I don't know, it's very. You can just totally see a movie prior to this doing stuff over the top and way too serious like that. Yeah, I like I like you said, Jess. Like I I like how it um it feels like you're in one movie and then you suddenly pan and you're just like on these side characters from that movie for the rest of the time, and I just think that's so fun. Like I, and it's so entertaining from there. These, these poor these poor babies like have no idea what they accidentally like got themselves involved in. It's so silly. Well, it's such a funny introduction too because I like that when they see the police badge. And and well, Jack Lemon sees it first, and he tell and Tony Curtis goes, oh, and they just start packing up, like they like they don't even like hesitate. They just go, oh. yeah, they know, they they know what they they know, like they always knew this was a risk when they like picked this gig, you know. <laughs> Something I picked up on this time, Tony Curtis is so like physically smooth. I never thought of him as such like a physical actor, but like in that scene, he also right after like slides down the fire escape ladder like really smoothly. Jack Lemon like jumps off it basically, and he also like cat climbs up after his date with sugar like he cat climbs up to sneak back into his hotel room and i just thought that was like such a funny moment because he just walks up to the front door and then he just immediately starts climbing the awning by the front door (laughs) well and it's such it's such an interesting performance in this especially if you've seen like sweet smell of success like where he's slimy but just like super super slimy it never there's not like a redeeming quality to it at least he's kind of slimy in this one and he somewhat redeems himself to a degree um you at least kind of like him at the end like when he's sydney valco you're just like this guy like he's just the worst until by the end of the movie um yeah uh it's it's kind of tough other than like naming sequences about like what makes this movie funny um but i do we talked about him a little bit but i do think that like you know, Jack Lemon helps really kind of lighten lighten a lot of this movie up at the beginning. But I did want to talk a little bit about Marilyn Monroe's performance. You know, we mentioned it's it's pretty well um, documented all the kind of issues behind the scenes going on there uh, with this movie. Um, but I mean, what do you all what do you all make about her performance? Not only just as like an you know an actor in this, but also just kind of being kind of you know really that that third lead between you you kind of have tony curtis and jack lemon who are working on this wavelength that she has to kind of you know get to um and i feel like a lot of the time she does um even though she's maybe not like as comedically savvy as they are in terms of like turning that stuff around she kind of does her own thing and it's effective i like that she's just i don't know i mean to me she she just her, she's so adorable like she 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 comes off like kind of just a relatable clumsy like lovable beautiful woman who just feels very messy and human um and silly and a little dumb but like I think all of these things are, are just kind of very endearing and lovely about her and, and I feel like when you watch her on screen her, her presence is just so commanding like I kept noticing myself like anytime she was on screen and talking I just like I couldn't look away um, just the way that she just looks just so sweet um, and genuine as she talks so I mean it kind of I don't know I wonder what my perspective is had I known about the, the difficulties they had that she was having personally too um, how that would color on a rewatch um, how I interpreted all that but um I don't know. I can just, she's just mesmerizing, I think. Um, and I can just see why, like Billy Wilder said, you know, it was a, I don't know if I would do it again, but um, at the end of the day, like, she, she, there's something wonderful about her. And even though it was difficult to, to, to deal with, it was completely worth it because she's, she's something. She's stunning. She's wonderful. Um, I also think it's just, I mean, even if you just want to think about her as a sex icon for a second, like, how, how difficult that must have been for her and kind of like how brave she kind of had to be especially in that time even now I think um women in Hollywood especially like really attractive women have a really hard time um 
and I, I just can't imagine, you know, as she was making movies, how that must have been, but I think she's just amazing. Yeah, I agree. I think she's, like, magnetic. Like, like you yeah. said, you're drawn to watching her, and I think it's kind of funny, because with all the line reading she had to do clearly. I don't think you'd ever pull, like, a clip from this and show, like, this is great acting. But she, like, overcomes yeah. all of it. Like, I, I actually, like, I think her performance in this is actually one of my favorites because I think she makes the movie. But she's doing things you kind of never see actors do because she seems so authentic even yeah. through, like, the messy lines and stuff like that. She seems very real. Um, and she's just like she like all the musical scenes I think she's fantastic in too yeah um and there's just something about her that you just have to watch like yeah. above Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon who are great like she draws you into this movie more so even and she's hilarious she's hilarious in Wilder's other movie with her seven year yeah. itch like she's so funny and I do think it's like that little bit of playing dumb like I don't I think it. I think she knows it and is like playing yeah. playing to it a lot. It's a performance, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's so she's so good at making it comedic and making it funny. And I'm sure that was hard on her as well. Like I, I'm sure doing like making her persona funny like that and not maybe the smartest person in the room, uh, in terms of like when she's on screen would be really tough on her, like in her own head. But I, in terms of her on screen performances, it makes them wonderful. Like it makes it very believable and hilarious most of the time it kind of reminds me um it honestly kind of reminds me of anna ferris in smiley face although anna ferris like comes off as much less like just mesmerizing attractive and just more hammy and silly but some of the times that um that she would just kind of be like wow i don't know kind of reminded me just like the way that she would respond a little slowly or just very like hypnotically um or and her like naivety in the performance that you know like i just can't help those what is it a bassist she's like or a fiddle this the saxophone she's like i just can't help i don't know it's like so like airy almost or breezy the way she talks kind of reminds me of anna ferris and smiley face um a little bit and i'm wondering well, yeah, that it's, was it's, inspiration well it's 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 not it's less like you know to your point that it's not like she's like going to be bringing in awards for the acting performance but like her performance is very much like a personality like like she's very she's very um she plays off you know she's like yeah i'm a little dumb you know i make dumb choices but you know i'm just trying to do this thing you know she's very she's very she's very charming just because she's kind of like yeah like I, I i know that i mean like you know you're not pulling one on me by telling me that just you know that's just who i am i'm just having a fun time like calm down um I would want to be friends with her immediately. Like, like she's just, I love the genuineness of it. Like, I think most people are like, hello, my name is Susan. Like, like just, that's it. But she's just like, hey, here I am. And like, that's the kind of person I would want to be friends with. She's just. <laughs> well, when you have, the, you, you have the introduction with her and then initially like Jack Lemon's just fawning over her. And that whole thing is just, is just entertaining. Just the sequence of her coming in the bed and him kind of insinuating, like, he's like, Oh, I got a surprise for you. And then the people just keep coming in with it. And he's just like, <laughs> you know, like, it's just great because you have the, you know, you have the, uh, overzealous Jack Lemon with the overzealous Marilyn Monroe. It's just, you know, it's very fun between the two of them. Um, but no, I think, I think it's, it's a, it's kind of an, it's a perfect compliment performance because you kind of have the other two having to, to chew up, chew up screen time. And then she kind of just kind of comes in and can just float through a scene and kind of do what, you know, I'm sure it was frustrating that she wasn't hitting her lines or doing that kind of stuff. But also like she kind of has this breathlessness, this kind of floating element where she's kind of floats through the scene, does whatever she wants. It seems, it seems a little off what you would have scripted for it. Um, And there's something kind of natural and nice about that. Um. Uh, anything else about about some like it hot before we wrap it up? I mean, um, you know, I second what we talked about before, but I think I think it's a movie that if you're, you know, if you're a modern, you know, movie watcher who's kind of like wanting to watch some classics and get a sense of you know 
since it's a classic movies, I think this is a super easy one to go ahead and put on that list of like it's a it's a classic movie that people, you know yeah. that, that people who watch classic movies love it. Yeah, that is that I think you'll be that you'll laugh and and find very entertaining the entire time. It won't be like you know you're not watching Bicycle Thieves, y'all. So, um, but I don't know. Do you all have any any final thoughts on something like it hot? No, not really. It's a hard movie to talk about, I feel like, because like you said, like we can just talk scene after scene like in terms of comedy and lots of funny things, and there are some interesting themes, but it is, it's not necessarily like a heady movie, but I think that's part of what makes it so great, too. Like, it's just so enjoyable. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's, it's kind of, um, compared to, uh, compared to Billy Wilder's other stuff, it's kind of, it's difficult because, you know, you look at like Ace in the Hole and, and Double Indemnity and like Sunset Boulevard, you get, there's like kind of showy, showy performances and like the scripts there. And, all that. and this one, there's, it's not like the script is bad. It's just very, it's, it's just kind of bouncing around. It's just very like lighthearted and fun. And so it's not like you can really like, di- you know, there's not like a deep character. Like you, it's not like uh, Gloria Swanson and Sunset Boulevard. It's not, there's not like a deep character study you're going to do on this one. It's just like, no, it's just a fun time. Um, well, cool. Well, that'll wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cinematary, on Twitter and Instagram at, at cinematary, and on Letterbox at letterbox.com slash cinematary, where we post the movies that we talked about in this episode. Um, if you would like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash cinematary. We're, t- you know, from $1 to $5, you're welcome to, uh, to support the show. Thank you to our supporters, uh, Cam, Chad Newsom, Corey Willingham, Candace Sisson, Ron Hayes, Teresa Marsathi, Titus Arthur and Tyler Chandler thank you so much for your patronage uh, next week we're going to be continuing our uh, Young Critics Watch Old Movies series with 1958's Elevator to the Gallows um, which uh, is it's exciting it's been on the Young Critics list I think for a couple years now so finally getting around to it um, but until then thank you all for listening we'll see you next week <laughs>